Thank you for listening to Action in Ministry. We want to hear about your ministry or a ministry you love. Text the word ACTION to 484848 and a producer will contact you for your idea. Picture yourself walking into a hometown bakery. You open the door and the aroma of freshly baked bread, warm cinnamon rolls and scones have your taste buds ready to sample a bite of baked goodness. Now, picture a truck being loaded with those items to supply local food pantries and those working at the bakery earning a paycheck to get and keep themselves off the street. Bridge Bread is much more than a bakery. It's a bridge of hope. That's on this Action and Ministry. Inspiring you to be the hands. Empowering you to be the feet. Strengthening you to be the heart of Christ for others. Action. Action. Action in ministry. Hi, I'm Rachel Legute, and this is Action in Ministry. Fred Domke and his wife are the founders of Bridge Bread Bakery in St. Louis, Missouri. When you walk in, it might look like your typical local shop, but when you step to the back and meet the bakers, you will quickly understand that this place is different. Fred, I'm so excited to hear your story. Thanks for joining us today. Well, thank you, Rachel. I'm glad to be here. I'm always happy to share the story of Hope in the Baking. Well, we are very excited to hear it. We know that Bridge Bread Bakery isn't your typical bakery. What makes it different? Bridge Bread Bakery is a, a social enterprise, and by that I mean it puts people first. Uh, we don't have profits. Not all social enterprises are nonprofit, but we are a nonprofit. Uh, and our purpose is uh, not to make money for shareholders because we don't have any. Our purpose is to do some social good. And the social mm -hmm. good that we do is to take folks that are experiencing homelessness and uh, give them a shot to lift themselves up by their own bootstraps by uh, learning how to make bread uh, and work in an environment that is supportive, that has some understanding of where they're coming from. And um, we have been pretty successful at doing that. And it's been a, a real rewarding experience. Well, this sounds like an incredible story. How long has Bridge Bread Bakery been around? When did you guys start? We started on the weekend of Labor Day in 2011. So we're coming up hey. on nine years. Um, and we started uh, in a daytime homeless shelter, sort of a soup kitchen, served three meals and gave a place for people to get out of the weather and progressed from being uh, essentially a rogue operation. I can go into that a little bit if you'd like, yeah. to being a program of that shelter, to being a completely independent organization. So we've been a completely independent organization now for, I guess, about three and a half years. Well, a lot of times when people choose to start a business, they are in it to make a profit and you put people first. What made you decide that this was the path that you wanted to take? Well, that's kind of a kind of an intriguing story. Um, I, I do have a history uh, on and off of being entrepreneurial. Mm -hmm. um, I spent most of my adult life working in technology, not baking uh, <laughs> and not retail. Uh, and my wife was a banker, actually with a, a large bank. And we were interested in, in doing something uh, to help people and had begun volunteering at a shelter called The Bridge or Bridge Outreach down on 16th and Olive. We would go once a month and, and make dinner and serve dinner and 
one week I was, uh, I was uh, down there and we made dinner and I was the guy that was handing trays out to folks. And while I was handing trays out to folks, I was thinking about sermon from Sunday where they were talking about where Jesus said, when you take care of the least of these, you're taking care of me. I'm paraphrasing badly. I was thinking how awesome it is to have the opportunity to, to serve my Lord. And I was handing out trays to hungry people. And this one guy in the line was a good looking young black man with blue green eyes. He came up and took his tray and said, bless you. And a lot of them say, bless you. And then I looked at his shirt and his shirt had a slogan on it. It said, here I am. And every time I say that, I get goosebumps because mm-hmm. when I read that, I grabbed Sharon's arm and I said, that's him. We just served Jesus. And it mm-hmm. grabbed my heart. So we determined that if we were going to try to do something that was going to be trying to make the world a better place to be, it was going to be something that was going to help folks experiencing homelessness. We didn't really know what exactly to do. We went through a book study on on generational poverty and racial justice and all sorts of things. And and Sharon and I both being kind of uh, business-like and kind of activists, we you know, we really like working with Habitat. We like working, making meals at the, the bridge. But those are things that people do to make people experiencing homelessness less miserable. You know, handing out mittens or sandwiches or whatever else it might be. And I said, you know, if we're really going to get on this thing, we want to help people to be not homeless. They're going to need a job. So we wanted to think of something that would give them a job. At that time, um, I had my own business. It's a small IT consulting firm, but it didn't take 100% of my time. So I had a little bit of time that I could, I could use to devote to it. Sharon was still pretty busy with the, with the bank, um, but we wanted to see what we could do. And uh, we thought about what, how can you open a business? I mean, businesses are hard. We're going, well, we want this business to be, the purpose is to give people employment. And people that we're going to be trying to employ are folks that have lost their jobs and may not have any recent work experience or particularly marketable skills and transportation, all sorts of problems. So what can they do? And then one weekend, my wife went out of town for a girl's weekend with her sorority sisters from college. While she was gone, I was bored. And in my house, I'm the cook. And I had never made bread. So I, I, I Googled it, went to Schnucks, got some flour and some yeast and came home and I made two not good loaves of bread. As a matter of fact, you could probably say they were crummy. That's a joke. <laughs> um, slathered them with butter and I ate them for dinner and I went to bed and that night I had a dream. And in my dream, I was back at the shelter and I was making bread with the folks from the dining room. And I got up in the morning and said, uh, Thank you, Lord. I got my instructions. Sharon came home. I told her the plan. And we went the very next week to the shelter with some friends from church, asked the guy running the kitchen if we could borrow the kitchen. We had no permission. We had no permits. We had no licenses. We had nothing but a good idea. (laughs) And we got some folks from the dining room. We made some bread and we paid them. And then we went and we sold the loaves at my church. And we came back the next week. We made more loaves and we Paid the makers more money, and we've been doing it every week since. Oh my goodness! I I love that the story starts out with um, a failed attempt, really, at making bread and using that as kind of a catalyst to give people opportunity. And so you started right there in the shelter. We we used the kitchen when they weren't using it. They did three meals a day, Monday through Thursday two meals on Friday and then the the, uh, the church that the shelter was 
in the building of the church. It wasn't part of the church. It was it rented the space, uh, kind of took over the building Friday night, Saturday and Sunday. Uh, we worked Friday afternoon, Saturday and, and, and made bread. Uh, when things got a little busier and we can get into how that happened, uh, we'd actually come over on Thursday evenings and we'd make dough and put it in the cooler and come back on Friday and make loaves and put them in the cooler and come back on Saturday and bake them. So that's, uh, we, we, we had nothing at the end of our first month. The only thing we owned was a double hook to put on their commercial mixer. And uh, we had no sponsorship, um, no government programs, no uh, church sponsorship, really, other than the fact that we were allowed to have space in the shelter. Well, tell me about those early days. How did the homeless population respond when you said to them, hey, I'm going to pay you to come bake some bread with me? Well, you know, that isn't quite quite how the question went. And it's intriguing that it isn't how the question went because I said, hey, does anybody want to learn how to make bread? And they were eager to come in and mm. make bread with no expectation they'd be paid. Mm. When at the end of the shift we paid them, they were shocked. What that says that I think is important is that folks experiencing homelessness are far from lazy. They are yeah. eager to do work. And when the when the, the, the bridge needed to have the floors mopped or the tables washed or any of these other things, they had many, many, many guests that were just eager to do something that was useful because they didn't like having nothing to do any better than you and I do. What was the response of people as as they started having this, this task that they could participate in and you would give them um, a payment for doing this task? How did people respond and how did, did the word start to spread then? The, the thing that I think was, again, the money is important. Don't get me wrong. But early on when we were doing maybe 8, 12, 14 hours a week and we were paying a little bit over minimum wage, we weren't giving them enough money to really change their lives. Mm -hmm. and, and it took us a while to figure that out, that we could continue doing that as long as we left the amount of work and the compensation levels where they were, we were making them a little more comfortable while they were homeless. And that's not what we wanted to do. Okay. But we were changing their lives because they were coming to us in a state of mind where they expected to fail. So many things had gone wrong in their lives and they'd lost all their relationships with people, with families, with employer, with neighbors. They'd lost their homes, their cars, their pets. They'd just been beaten down and beaten down and pretty well given up on, on, on hoping for things to ever get better. Mm -hmm. But when they come into the kitchen and there's a tub of butter and a sack of flour and a, and a, a canister full of cinnamon and they make a wonderful cinnamon roll, they look down at the cinnamon roll and they go, I made this. <laughs> I can do something good. Yeah. Begin to hope again. And that transformational thing, which is directly related to it being baking, not just to it being a job, I think had an impact far greater than the impact of the money did on their lives <laughs> in those early days. Yeah. Well, and so much has changed um, since those early days where you do employ people now um, to, to have jobs as bakers. Right, right. And, and, you know, once we figured out that having a lot of people making a little bit of money wasn't really going to change lives, we mm -hmm. focused on something we could do to get the amount of work up, which meant that we had to sell more bread because you can't make it and throw it away unless, you know, I wanted to buy it all and I'm not a rich man. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, we, we solicited churches and the churches essentially take the products and, and, and in, indeed today, well, until the coronavirus, indeed mm -hmm. 
in modern bridge bread, yeah. um, churches taking our products and selling it to their congregations or parishes or whatever they might call the, the group of folks that worship together is the biggest part of, uh, of the sales of bridge bread. It's not an overwhelming share. It's a little less than 50%, but it is the biggest part. So we started by soliciting the other churches that were supporting the homeless shelter and said, hey, could you take some of this bread to your church and sell it to, to the folks at your church as well? And then we bumped up the amount of bread that we were making. And, you know, at first it was just bread and then it was bread and cinnamon rolls. And then, you know, we, now we do cakes and brownies and bagels and scones and mm-hmm. all that sort of stuff as, as things have evolved. Um, but we got it to where uh, we had enough work that people could be getting 20 or 30, sometimes even in the busy parts of the year, 40 or more than 40 hours a week. And, and we got the wages to where they're, not great, but they're they are actually slightly above the median wages for a baker in St. Louis. We start mm-hmm. people at ten dollars and fifteen cents an hour, and they get sick leave and vacation and holidays and, and such. If they were in a relationship where you know where another person could share an apartment with them, they could make it on their own. If they weren't, they probably need to get into an affordable housing program of some sort, and and we help them with referrals to things like that. But our bakers started getting housed, and as they started getting housed. They started rebuilding their relationships with with people, with family and, and and friends, and going back to church. And once they started feeling good about themselves, they were willing to to kind of share themselves with others. And I think that was a another really important step. As a matter of fact, knowing when people end up on the street that not even their family had a place for them is a really hard thing to think about. But somehow, people experiencing homelessness often blame themselves rather than blaming their family that they were on the street, even though the family may have had a warm home. And they aren't able to get back into a relationship with their families until they feel good about themselves. And that tends to be kind of the the, the sign that somebody is pretty much fully recovered when they come and they bring mom by or, or their sister or they got the kids for the weekend or whatever it might be. Uh, then we know that they're really, they're really pretty much back on track. Mm. How do you, you and your wife fit into the into the whole greater scheme of your organization? Do you guys just get in the kitchen with everybody too, or when we started, <laughs> because we didn't really know how to make bread, and certainly the bakers that we uh, recruited from the from the dining room at the shelter didn't know how to make bread. We did have a little help from the chef in the kitchen, mm-hmm. um, but we learned a lot of things, you know, uh, through trial and error, uh, and we were in the kitchen side by side. And we had other volunteers side by side. And that was good, but it had a a, a limitation. When you take folks who, again, have lost everything and you put them side by side with volunteers and the volunteers may not be rich, but in the eyes of somebody who's got nothing, they feel like they're the rich folks. They're the privileged folks. They're Mm -hmm. the, the ones that, that can afford to be volunteering. It doesn't have the same effect as it does when they're working with other folks who were just like them. So over time, we have worked our way out of the kitchen so that the kitchen is run by a bakery supervisor. Uh, Actually, we have two shift supervisors um, who started with us as off-the-street folks coming right out of a shelter, the same as, as everybody else. So now when somebody comes into the kitchen, instead of seeing the old white guy and the pretty young white woman, my wife, not that young, but you know, younger than me. Um, they see bakers that were in their own circumstances. And again, that can inspire them. 
hey, these guys made it. Maybe I can make it too. Mm. And so that's part of the culture. So what do we do? Well, we do everything else. <laughs> we, 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 we pay the bills. We order the supplies. We call on churches. We call on businesses. Uh, we keep the building running. I don't know. You've got some video there. You can see we've got this beautiful building behind us. It was built in 1909 as a silent movie theater. And keeping this building running is almost a full-time job. Mm. Uh, it's a big, beautiful building, but it's, you know, it's 111 years old. Yeah, it um, takes work. <laughs> and there's a lot of equipment. And we always have equipment failures to deal with. And we've got supplies to deal with. And, you know, and all those sorts of things. So, and recently with the way we had to reinvent ourselves with the coronavirus, uh, I spend four to six hours a day delivering bridge bread to customers who aren't buying it at church and who aren't buying it at the farmer's market and who aren't mm -hmm. buying it but coming to our dining room because those channels are closed to them. And we decided that rather than just shutting all that down, we let everybody know that they could just order it online and we would take it right to their house. And that's what I did from 6.30 to 12.30 this morning as I took it to 31 houses. Talk about doubling down when times get tough. My goodness, this is really a passion project then for you. It is. And, 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 and that's, I am blessed in many ways, but one of the ways in which I am blessed is I am blessed to have a life partner, my wife of 21 years. I am blessed to have a wife, life partner who shares my passion mm. and can do this with me because I don't think it could work any other way. So um, this is a very much of a team effort and Sharon and I are that um, maybe not that unusual, but, but not all that common either. We're that couple that can work side by side 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and we get along just fine. Well, that is lovely to have somebody in the trenches with you in the middle of, um, I'm sure there are not, like all easy days that you face too, when you um, are working on this project, what are some of the struggles that you run into working with the homeless population, working in an older building? What kind of things try to trip you up and slow you down? First off, I would say that we not only didn't know how to make bread when we started, we really didn't understand homelessness. Mm. Um, one, one of the questions that I often ask when I, uh, when I discuss this with people is, you know, well, you know, lack of a job, um, or a divorce, or I've had them say, well, you know, they were venture capitalists and they lost their business. That's probably not very common. Um, <laughs> mental illness, um, addiction and all these things. And I go, yes, yes, yes. And yes. But people that have experienced all those things often don't become homeless. Why is that? They don't become homeless because they've got the support and the resources to see them through a life crisis. People become homeless when ordinary people face ordinary crises, but they don't have the resources to see them through. I didn't figure that out until we've been doing this for about four and a half, five years. I, I, at first, I thought it was like a lot of people. I thought a lot of it was mental illness and addiction. It turns out that's no more common in the population experiencing homelessness than it is in the general population. Mm. Thought, and they told me it was relationship breakups. Well, that's true. Relationship breakups are often a precipitating event. I got divorced. I didn't become homeless. Mm. When Daryl got divorced, he did become homeless because mm -hmm. he didn't have enough resources on his own to continue to stay housed. Daryl was one of our bakers. He was actually uh, with us for seven years. Mm. Um, and learning that and understanding where they're coming from 
really was really important in order for me to have an authentic relationship with them. I had to understand that when they never saved money for tomorrow, they were doing the smart thing. I go, what? I mean, when they would spend money on a $3 bus pass instead of saving it up for a $70 bus pass, I go, why are you doing this? Hmm. The answer became crisply clear. When you're sleeping on the streets or you're sleeping in a shelter, when you lie down to sleep at night and you got money in your pocket, you wake up with an empty Mm. pocket. There's no point in trying to hold on to the money. Yeah. Not not until your life is stabilized. And when their lives are stabilized, they're great at holding on to the money. They're doing a good job. So I had to understand them was the first struggle. And so I was really frustrated when I saw things that, that I didn't understand. And as I came to understand them, it was me that needed to change. And, and, and I have. Um, but there were things where we've lost people back to an addiction. We've lost people back to mental illness. We've lost people back to a bad attitude, but not very often. We've got a success rate that's well over two thirds mm. um, of all the bakers that have ever been with us. And there haven't been that many because our turnover is low. About two thirds are, are today housed and employed. So, you know, we, we're doing well, but it breaks our hearts when somebody can't make it. Mm-hmm. And most of the time, it isn't that somebody makes it as a bread baker and they get on track and then they backslide. It's that they didn't stick with it long enough to get back on track. And so yeah. that's really, really, really rare for somebody to get on track and then to, to fall off. But it has happened and it's happened primarily because of things like addiction and mental health issues. We struggle with that. We struggle with that. And it's happened a few times and it breaks our hearts. Um, We had to struggle quite a bit when we found out that we couldn't sell bread at churches and we couldn't sell bread at the farmer's market and we couldn't sell bread on the food truck and we couldn't sell bread in our dining room and we couldn't sell bread to the hotel for events because they all went away with the coronavirus. (laughs) But we sang the chorus from the Chumbawamba song, I get knocked down, but I get up again, and you're never going to keep me down. <laughs> we came right back at it, and uh, we're making lots and lots and lots of bread, and we have people who are donating the money to us to pay for the bread, and then we donate the bread to food pantries, and the food pantries are eating it up. That's a pun, yeah. too. They love, <laughs> love the bread, and uh, they'll take just about all we can give them, and there's lots more pantries we can go to. So that's been a really successful thing to do part of it. And then the bridge bread delivery has also been really successful. I think sometimes people who are experiencing homelessness and they find themselves in this position, um, maybe are unseen by society at times. It's it's easy for us to, who are not um, experiencing this um, homelessness, it's easy to maybe not see that um, and see the the struggles and the plight of those who um, aren't housed. And you tell us so much about what you've learned um, working with people in that situation. Have you seen people go through that whole journey of really finding a way to get out of the situation that they're in because of the resources that you're offering? Do you have any journeys that you've seen people go on that you could share with us? Yeah, I want to kind of anonymize them a little bit. Yeah. Um, just just for the privacy concerns. I had a baker um, who struggled with um, anger management. That's a dangerous thing. Uh, and depression. Um, and it lost all relationships with family and friends and had gotten in trouble with the law. And that baker uh, came to us and also got into a board of program with uh, mental health professionals 
worked through a lot of his anger management. And I believe that his job and his relationships here were very key in getting uh, getting that uh, back on track. Had a little substance abuse problem too. I wouldn't call it an addiction, but he got through that when he saw positive things going on in his lives that didn't require him to essentially self-medicate. Um, and when he saw positive things going on in his life, the depression wasn't so severe. Uh, he has now the mental health professionals. Uh, he, he's graduated to the point where rather than having uh, weekly or monthly visits with the psychiatrist, he gets kind of a checkup every three months just to make sure things are still on track. Uh, he has rebuilt his relationships with his mother, father, and stepfather and brought them by the bakery to visit and show off because he's very proud of his job and what he's doing with his life. Uh, he's doing really, really well. Um, and then I want to mention Daryl. Daryl was with us. Daryl came to us about the second month we were uh, running Bridge Bread. And at the time he came to us, he was sleeping in the bushes at the drive-through banking facility at Olive and Tucker. Mm. And in the wintertime, he slept there with five pairs of pants and seven shirts on so that he wouldn't freeze to death. He was in really dire straits. And Daryl came to us and Daryl was able to get on his feet. As soon as he could get an apartment and, and things had stabilized, he was back going to the shelter. He was mentoring others. He was helping them out. And Daryl ended up being the guy that was running the kitchen. Um, and as he ran the kitchen, we get visitors from, particularly we get visitors from a company called AB Mari, which is a baking ingredients manufacturer mm -hmm. that has their North American headquarters in St. Louis. And they bring in their executives for conferences. And when they come to a conference, they bring them by the bakery. When they come by the bakery, they would talk with Daryl. And they talk with Daryl about poverty and homelessness and baking and about his life and about what he was doing to help others and such. And, and, and they love talking with Daryl. Daryl passed away almost exactly one year ago. It was uh, mm -hmm. on Friday. It will be one year. Um, and mm -hmm. when he passed away, I sent a notice to, uh, to the company that we had this relationship with, A.B. Mari, that Daryl had passed away, and they shared it with their, with their executives. And, uh, this kind of took me up to talk about it. Mm -hmm. Daryl got tributes from five continents. Oh, wow. From executives all over the world that told how his life had inspired their lives and mm -hmm. how they regretted his passing and were felt blessed that they had shared time with him. And I don't know about you, but I'm not expecting to get tributes from five continents when I pass. I think Daryl has shown that if there's ever a case that needs to be made, that people experiencing homelessness are not throwaway people, he made that case. People who are experiencing homelessness are not throwaway people. Right. They can be really valuable, contributing members of our, of our community, and, and they really are. And I, I think another aspect that we haven't talked about much, but it's really important, is uh, sometimes people ask me about Brisbane. They go, well, how many bakers do you have? Well, six. And they go, wow, that's a lot of trouble for six bakers. And it is. <laughs> But what we're doing here is that the bakers, through their courageous lives and getting back on track and being people like Daryl and, and the other bakers that have done, shown an example to the world that they can be valuable and contributing members, we're changing the world because we're changing the perceptions of people. We're, we're going out and we're talking to school children. We're going out to churches. We're, we're getting on podcasts with, with Lutheran Hour Ministries where we can tell the world. And that's a really important part of what Bridge Bread does. And that's a really important part. I tell my bakers that they're, they're you know, 
they are in service themselves by showing the world what they can do so that people won't think of people experiencing homelessness in the misguided way that they do of thinking of them as somehow being lesser than others. Fred, the bakery is obviously a social cause, but it's more than that for you and your wife. It's really a ministry. Can you tell me how that really evolved for you? Well, I think the, the first thing I have to say is that it, 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 it's, it's not even just a social cause and a ministry. It's a business and a social cause and a ministry. And I, I have to be not two-faced, but three-faced in some ways that, you know, I'm a hard-nosed businessman when it comes time to talk to the concrete paving guy. Um, and uh, maybe I'm, I'm a, a bit more of a social enterprise kind of a guy when I'm talking to a baker about what's going on in their lives. Um, but it's a ministry for us. And I think key to that is I don't believe that you take Christ to somebody by talking at them. I don't think that you bring them to Christ by asking them. You bring them to Christ by showing them. And I believe that it's really important that I keep that aspect of how it is ministry to me a little bit closer to the vest until and unless and only when uh, the bakers or the volunteers or uh, the folks that we deal with ask for it. When they ask for it, I'm Delighted to share how this is a, 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 an expression of my faith. Uh, there's a passage in um, Mark uh, talking about eternal life, and it talks about you know your eternal life begins when you're following Jesus. And I think that when we, you and I and others, when we start taking it as a core to what we're doing in our daily life is that we're trying to live the way that Jesus taught us. We've begun our eternal lives. We don't have to wait till we're dead. We can begin our eternal lives now because what we're doing really matters. And for me, that's that's a very personal thing. I don't wear it on my sleeve, but I'm happy to share it when you ask. What would you tell someone who is seeing a need in their community and they're feeling like it that they want to do something to meet that need. What advice would you give to somebody who wants to step out in faith and help the people around them, but they're just not sure how to do it? I would, I would tell them first off that it's really, really easy to find really good reasons to not do it. That you don't have the money, you don't have the expertise, you don't have this, you don't have that. It's really easy to find reasons, uh, good reasons to not do it. I just say, just do it. Come up with something and give it a try. If it doesn't work and you can figure out it doesn't work, we'll stop doing it and try again. You know, it's sort of like being an entrepreneur. You can't expect that everything's going to work from square one. So let me back off and say that one thing that I learned when we were part of a another nonprofit and that other nonprofit wasn't an entrepreneurial social enterprise, it was a charity. Charities and churches are very careful about protecting assets and avoiding risks. Entrepreneurs are good at seizing opportunities and often that entails taking risks. So you need to kind of get out of that really careful charity mindset and more into that entrepreneurial mindset. You don't, you don't go and say, I'm going to start up a church. If that doesn't work, I'll start up another one. If that doesn't work, I'll start up another one. And eventually I'll get it right. 
But as an entrepreneur, you might well say that about, I'm going to try to start up a business. If it doesn't work, I'll start up another until you get one that works. So if you got something, pray about it. Give it some thought. Don't try to think through everything. If you think through everything, you'll just be overwhelmed at it all. If I, if I thought through all that it takes to keep Bridgebred running in our own building with workers' comp and unemployment insurance and you know all the utility bills and the and the the, you know, the exterminator and the um, equipment service people and and the relationships, you know, I would go. I could never do that. But instead, I had a dream. I thought the dream came to me from the Lord. I still believe that to be true. And he didn't say, go think about it and plan it for six months. He didn't say, go apply to a foundation for the money. He said, go make bread. And that's what we did. And over time, yes, it's evolved into a pretty complicated business. If you look at it now and say, that's really big deal. Well, it is, but it doesn't have to be to get started. Well, it is so inspiring to hear your story and your enthusiasm for the work that you're doing um, is very catchable <laughs> um, and your love for the people around you is beautiful. And I thank you for stopping by and sharing your story with us today on Action and Ministry. Thank you for the opportunity. As I said before, I think this is probably the most important thing we do. Jesus said, what you have done for the least of these you have done unto me. Society doesn't always know what to do about people experiencing homelessness, but Fred did understand that he could help. For him, it meant being willing to take a risk in business and in relationships, but he's been blessed to see lives changed from homeless to hope-filled. How can you bring a message of hope to your neighbors and community? That's Action in Ministry. I'm Rachel Legute. Thank you for listening to Action in Ministry. We'd love to hear how you and your church are ministering to your community. To submit ideas for this podcast, visit our website, lhm.org forward slash action and send us an email.